0: Today's scripture reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 21 through 39. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord... so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God, and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of, it, of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, coming soon. <clears throat> we, uh, we were away in Massachusetts, and I just got back on train last evening. Uh, we unhappily inherited the flu from uh, Anne-Marie's cousins, and so anne maries is uh, with extra snowfall in Massachusetts and, and pretty significant flu. She's staying there for a couple of days with the kids, and uh, I've come back to you. So if I see you after the service and I give you the elbow instead of the handshake or the hug, you know that it's just to keep my distance and not not spread it. We've happily been going through Advent. It's such a special time, and I love our a celebration of remembering Um, how much Jesus gives us. And so this is the last part of that that we'll go through. And in a new year, what we're going to do is resume home meetings. Home meeting leaders are going to go through a book called Community, A Mess Worth Making. And I'm going to, what I'm going to do is pull a scripture passage from each of those chapters to preach on. And we'll, we'll, like we did all fall, go through and follow along together. The preaching uh, series will follow along with the study series. And we should be able to delve in pretty deeply into what community really means. And unpack it piece by piece. All of the pieces that are easy. All of the pieces that are hard. And I'm looking forward to doing that with you. But for now, what I want to do is look at consolation. You know, when I was... Uh, last Christmas... I told you a story about me being in Colorado, <clears throat> and one of the things I did was I went on a spiritual retreat, and I camped at 10,000 feet on Pikes Peak, and I had uh, uh, my compass, and I had some different things that I, I thought, you know what, I want to hike up to the, the very top. It was about twelve thousand five, I think, maybe thirteen, and I was a couple miles away from the top from where I, was, where I had my camp, and I used my compass and I sighted a spot that I wanted to land on, and I took off. And, you know, I, I wend my way through deep thickets and forest streams and all of these kinds of things I can't see for anything. You know, it's a very thick, overgrown forest where I was at. And wouldn't you know, a few hours later, I come right out at that very point that I was looking at. I had the consolation of not being out in the deep woods without something guiding me precisely to where I needed to go. It was consoling, and it worked. And it's been uh, the way that people have navigated for millennia. Now, what we're talking about today is the advent of Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, That's the message of Christmas, that God himself has come into our midst. He He was born. He took flesh upon himself. He was born as a baby. And he grew up as a child, and he grew into a man, and he lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. So God with us, there's consolation to that. God hasn't left us deep in the woods without something guiding us precisely to where we need to go. And so what I want to do is just briefly look, as cogently as possible, with whatever's going on inside of me here, uh, the consolation of God's word, the consolation of God's spirit and the consolation of God's Savior. So first, the consolation of God's word. You know, we're not left directionless. It feels like that. It feels like that when the pressures of life come down, and you've got myriad decisions to make, and and the decisions are hard, and you're not sure which way to go, and what's the purpose of going this way and not that way? Why am I motivated to go in one direction and not another? What's the standard that I make these decisions by? And one of the good news, one of the good consolations of the gospel is that he hasn't left us alone. If you look through the passage printed in your bulletin, you see over and over again that things are done according to the Bible, according to God's word, according to the law of the Lord. Verse 22, according to the law of Moses, right? Verse 29, according to your word. Verse 39, according to the law of the Lord. Now, I realize that there's a great many of you who have come from church backgrounds and you've come and grown up in the church and you've seen institutionally the church's darker side. You've seen things fail. You've seen people fail. And uh, many of you approach your faith with an anti-institutional bent. Anti-institutional bent. And I understand that. I understand that. But you can't throw everything out as you recover from what you've experienced in the life of the church without grace or without the fullness of the gospel really showing itself in its life. And one of the things that I want to bring out, again, is just how much in our passage everything is done according to God's word. Uh, I I may have used this example, so forgive me if it's a repeat. uh, There's a famous jazz pianist named Bill Evans. And he... Uh, he, he changed jazz, particularly with his use of chromatic uh, notes and the way that he would shape colors and, and the, the harmonies of jazz were still developing and he was on the forefront of part of the development. And uh, one of the interviews that was uh, done with him in Downbeat magazine years ago talked about, you know, you're so free. You're so free when you play. You just, you, you can cr- sort of create endlessly. And he said, wait. You know, this is a, my memory, a paraphrase of a story that I remember from Downbeat. Uh, he said, wait, don't misunderstand. If I sit down at the piano and I try to play everything that I know, I'm frozen. But if I take two chords and I work within the confines of those two chords, I, I can create infinitely. I'm free to create it's, it's the boundaries of those two chords that give me the freedom to create. In the same way, it's the boundaries of God's word that give us the freedom, the liberty to live life freely in the gospel in communion with the Lord. <clears throat> you know, there are a lot of um, everyday kind of examples. Our car is very old, 90, 99 Nissan Altima. That's what we're driving. And it's, at the, it's about and Thirty-five thousand miles, I think, at this point, you know. And so, what happens as cars get to about that age is you just feel, start to feel rumblings everywhere. And one of the things we continue to have trouble with is our alignment, you know. And when the alignment of the car goes off, it, you know, one of the ways you can see the alignment's off you, you're going on a straightaway. You let go of the wheel, the car stays pretty straight. But you let go of the, on the straightaway, and the alignment's off, the car will. The car is veering one way or to the other. Ours is definitely pooling, so we have alignment issues, right? And what happens if that continues? If we we allow our car to continue to pull and the alignment to continue to get worse, it won't even, it's not that we won't get to where we're going, we won't even be able to drive it. You understand? So there's freedom within the structure. The the tires are meant for alignment. The drive is meant for being aligned, right? Another example. Um, weekly, I use my printer, right? And so, have you ever used a printer when the printer cartridge gets kind of gunked up with extra ink, and it's not clean properly, and it's not aligned? And the little warning says I'm not aligned. And then you, you get the sheet printed out, and the words and the pictures are sort of like disjointed. Part of it's over here, part of it's over here. You can't read it, right? The printer cartridges need to be aligned, and so that we can read and, and it can be useful. Or the compass. You know, the compass has been used for, for many years. There's stars to steer by, right? Ships have used this kind of thing where there's a fixed point. You, you have something to guide you. You can run your life according to a principle that is not based on your own intuition or based on your own um, reaction to circumstances. There's something true despite what's going on around you. Like when I was in the woods in Colorado, there were times where I thought, wow. I really hope that this thing works. <laughs> because it was so deep and so thick and so overgrown. I didn't I couldn't tell which I couldn't see the sun, I couldn't tell which way was north, south, east, west, I couldn't see anything. But my compass heading stayed there and I landed exactly where I needed to be. The same is true with God's word. There's joy in not being left in the darkness. In this passage, we see different things happening. There's parenting according to God's word. Mary and Joseph are bringing up Jesus, even from birth on, according to God's word. That's how it lays out here. They're considering that. They're they're actually changing their schedule, right? They're going and doing things according to God's word. They're not engaged in their normal work. They're doing things the way that they understood God's word required of them, right? They're also in community. They're they're doing community from God's word. The circumcision at that time Uh, my research showed was often done by the father right and so the family and the community would gather around and on the eighth day the the child was circumcised and that was a promise that went back to the promise to Abraham right through you Abraham many uh, nations will be blessed right and circumcision was a sign of God's covenant and we also see teaching of the gospel according to God's word there's teaching about Jesus going on here with Anna with Simeon Everything is pointing to him. Everything is done according to God's word. So there's consolation there. We're not left directionless. We're not left alone. How are you doing reading God's word? If it's that important, if it's meant to be your consolation. I gave you an assignment a few weeks back. How'd you do? Did you go through that Philippians passage? Did you study it? Did you meditate on it? Did you chew on it? Did you pray over it? Did you discuss it together? I know some of you did. I've talked to you. This needs to be a regular occurrence. You can't just do it in pockets. Otherwise, you're going to get off. You're going to get off direction. You need to be consoled by the direction. The confines of God's word are what will give you freedom. And you need to take that seriously as we go into our new year. As you make your new year's resolutions, realize, okay, there are certain things that I want to see accomplished in my life. Ask yourself, is this thing that I want to accomplish according to God's word? Does it match up with his purposes? Does it match up with his, um, with a heart, my heart renewed by faith in his gospel, his good news? Does it match up with his standard? Is it according to his word? Okay? So consolation of God's word, but we also have consolation of God's spirit. We're not left alone. (coughs) We see this in various ways. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon, right? Verse 26, revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, he came in the spirit into the temple, right? There's beauty of communion with God's spirit. What does it mean to be a Christian? In part, it means that you have relationship with God himself. And this is something you can actually experience. When it talks about the Holy Spirit being upon him, this is, an, this is one of those Old Testament instances. But when Jesus rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven, one of the things, we talked about this earlier, one of the things that he was freed up to do was send his spirit anywhere, into any one of us, into all of us. And so part of knowing God is through his spirit. And we see a hint of that here, experience of God's presence, right? There's a, Blaise Pascal was a, mathematician and a famous writer many centuries ago, and he was known um, for different writings that he had done. He was Frenchman, and um, one of the things that happened in his life that he was sitting in the study, he was writing, and he had an experience of God's presence, and when he died, there was a little thing that he had sewn on the inside of his jacket, and it was a little account of that moment where he had experienced God's presence, and he said, you know, at this particular time, fire. Fire. Not the God of the philosophers. Not the God of the religious, but the God God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. And he prays in that. He says, I pray that you will never leave me. There's experience of God's presence that's real. And so the Holy Spirit was upon him in Simeon. Also, (coughs) the Holy Spirit reveals... Reveals. Because it's a personal relationship, the Holy Spirit reveals. You know, one of the things that happens in marriage, those of you who have been married for a while know this and can testify to it. Those of you who uh, are just new to it or on the outside of it, you can expect it. But one of the things that happens is that you get busy and life gets in the way of you and your intimate connection, your relational connection with the person you're married to. And so, what ends up happening is there are assumptions that start to be made on both sides. And you think that you know what the other's thinking. And you think how the, you know, that you know how the other's feeling. But what ends up happening is you're off, right? Why? Because you haven't revealed it to one another. That's the kind of language that's right here. Verse 26 the Lord's Spirit reveals the Savior, reveals Jesus. And that's what He does in your life. He's personal. You should experience him. You shouldn't go too long without experiencing his presence. doesn't mean that you won't, you'll experience it every day, every moment. That's not what I'm talking about. But you shouldn't go too long without experiencing something of his presence. And when you do, one of the, one of the directions he'll point in, one of the compass markings that he'll give you is Jesus. His job is to do that. Jonathan Edwards, his, one of his experiences of God that he wrote about was that he was riding along the Hudson River... It was his habit to do and he got off his horse and he was walking along through the woods and he was praying and he had an experience of God's presence. And he fell down on his face in the mud. And for as near as he could tell, the better part of an hour, he wept. Jonathan Edwards, if you've read him, wasn't given to emotional excess. He was an intellectual and one of the greatest that this country has had. And yet there he is. He's on the ground describing it, describing his experience of God and what happened. His experience of God was Jesus bigger than, the higher than the heavens, than all of the universe, and his love encompassing everything and going after everything and reshaping everything. He experienced the power of Christ in reality. And it, was re- and it points to Jesus. It revealed to him. <clears throat> Verse 27, Simeon came into the spirit, in the Spirit, into the temple. The Spirit, then, is also present in your work, in your worship. In your work, in your worship. This is not the only time where you think about or entertain your relationship with God. It goes with you into the things you do. Right? You go out in the Spirit. You do things in the Spirit. You let the Spirit in you point Jesus for others. You let the Spirit in, you point to Jesus for yourself. There are times that you forget it, just like married couples forget to reveal to one another what's important, what's on their hearts, what's on their minds. The Spirit guards that for you. It guards your heart, it guards your mind. Where? In Christ Jesus. That's who's revealed. There's beauty of this relationship. Verse 28, you see that Simeon blesses and doesn't curse God. What's the opposite of blessing in the Bible? It's cursing. Be away from me. Out. You know the scapegoat? Put the sins of the, uh, the, the people of Israel onto the goat and send it out. Right? It's a curse. Simeon's words, his actions, his thoughts, his heart are directed towards the Lord in obedience to his word, in experience of his spirit, and it blesses him. It says he blessed the Lord. What a privilege What a privilege. You know, blessing is about full flourishing, shalom, peace. And God gives Simeon the right to be a blessing back to him. So don't underestimate yourself. The Lord doesn't. He gives you great rights, great privileges as his child. So you bless and you do not curse. You also see great intimacy in prayer. You know, I think one of the things that happens in Christian circles is that we we develop a tribal kind of language for prayer sometimes i don't i don 't know how much i've heard I've heard a little bit around our circles, but uh, I think you hear it often in the South or people who are brought up in sort of middle america in in the church, and what happens in prayer is that you hear, "Oh Father, God, Lord God, please bless God, Lord Jesus God, father God, you know and it's this strange rep- repetition of name over and over and over again, but you don't see that with Simeon's prayer. He says Lord once. and He gets right to it as though he's talking to him, right? It's the same thing for us. If you're in a relationship with a living God, a real person, one of the things you can do is talk to him straight. Don't use special language. You know, look at what <clears throat> look at what Simeon says. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word, from my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He's straight. He's talking straight. When you go to God in prayer, talk straight to him. Don't put all of the Christianese around it. Just bring your heart to him. Talk to him with real words. Talk to him the way you would talk to a friend or a husband or a wife or a girlfriend or boyfriend or a family member or a friend. He's called you friend, you know. This is what this is about, this incarnation. And there's recognition. Again, verse 26 and 30. The role of the Holy Spirit in Simeon's life was to show him the Messiah, to see the Lord's salvation. You know, you'll come across Christians who will manipulate teaching on the Holy Spirit to justify what they are experiencing internally, what they want internally, what their sinful desires want internally, what their idolatry wants internally. So your first test as you go out And as you begin to grow closer to God in your relationship with Him, and you experience His Spirit, is He pointing me to Jesus? Is He pointing me closer to Jesus? Is He showing me more about Him? That's His role. You see it in Simeon, and that's His role in our lives too. So we have the consolation of God's Word, consolation of God's Spirit. We also have the consolation of God's Savior. There's a beauty of redemption. It goes out to every you know people from every nation, people from all over the planet. There's a beauty to it. Now, this beauty can be taken or can be rejected, right? First of all, the consolation. There's a consolation that the pressure's off. The matter of fact is that we need redeeming. Israel needed redeeming. People from every nation needed redeeming. What does that mean? The glory, you know, it says in verse 32 that it was the glory of Israel. The gospels about the glory of Israel. Do you know what Israel's role was to the nations around them? They were to be the ideal nation. They were to show God's true, they were called God's son, right? And they were were to be God's true people and, and, and a light to the nations and a blessing to the Gentiles. And they failed at that. They were unable to do it. Right? And so part of their consolation they're waiting for is, God, have you left us? Because they were left in judgment. You know, Their temple was destroyed. The temple that we read about here, Jesus is brought to is a second temple that was built after the, the original temple was destroyed. And things weren't the same. God's relationship with his people showing up wasn't the same as it was in the old days. And they were feeling cast aside. And they were feeling rejected. And they were feeling lost. And they were feeling without hope. But it's consolation because here we see that Jesus, the advent of Jesus, God's true son, God's true representative before all nations, is born. takes the pressure off God's people, right? In the same way, Jesus came to be a light to the Gentiles. When you read Gentiles, just think of you know, non-Jewish nations. Any nation on the earth that's not Jewish Gentile, okay? And this is who Jesus came for. Now, one of the things you see Paul do later, um, or Paul do in in Acts, is he, he goes into an area, a city, an urban area, and there's lots of worship going on. There's lots of worship going on. There's lots of religiosity. There's also irreligion. There's lots of people who just don't bother, you know, they're, they're very, uh, they're atheists. They're, uh, they stay away from religion. Man is more central to the equation and how we live our life and the way we think and evaluate things, and that's it. And he goes into there, and one of the things he found was an empty platform. There were these statues of all these gods around. He found an empty pl- platform and it said, to the unknown God. <clears throat> and he begins to preach the gospel by saying, look, what you worship is unknown God. I now proclaim to you. I proclaim this one to you. There is, you think that there's freedom in religion, right? Think that there's freedom in religion. I remember um, oh, my my flu is getting to my head. <clears throat> it was a, a Matt Damon movie, Tom Hanks movie, uh, where they were soldiers, and Tom Hanks goes with his platoon to rescue Matt Damon's character, save it, Private Ryan. It, Private Ryan. Thank you. This is the the result of flu-ridden brain. What's interesting about that movie is that, you know, if you you see the storyline of that unfold, it's to save face. This massive mission to save Ryan is to save face. It's the last person alive that has a mother back home and and the president wants that to happen. So uh, this platoon goes through, people lose their life and they, they go through all kinds of hell to bring this guy back. And the end of the movie is him as an old man. And he's brought up to the grave of that, uh, that leader. And he says, I hope my life was worth it. Right? Do you remember that? I hope my life is worth it. But he's not sure. I remember talking with a, a Muslim fellow after a service that was in New York and I taught a class <clears throat> called The Credibility of Christianity. It was basically where worldviews collide and we would push on each other a little bit and challenge one another and I would present the gospel in ways that uh, people hadn't come to understand. And he, <clears throat> he hadn't, I was gentle with him And uh, smiley with him, and I enjoyed. And so we went out to coffee after the the service, and we went out and we talked about the gospel. I presented in different ways, and I said one of the things that I'd ask you is, how do you know? How do you know your life is good enough? How do you know what you're doing is good enough? How do you know that you'll get God's favor on the last day? And he was forced to say, "I don't. I don't know that." And I said, "Well, let me proclaim a way to you where you can be sure." You can be sure: He came as a light to the Gentiles. Now, some of you won't be consoled by this, and some of us won't be consoled by this, right? 34 and 35 says it's that Jesus coming is a sign that's opposed. It's for the rising and falling of many in Israel, but it's a sign that opposed, the thoughts of many hearts are revealed. And we talked about religion failing, but irreligion fails too. You know, you say, okay, I'm not going to be bound by institutional, organizational religion. I'm not going to be bound by the things that I've seen other bound, people bound by. And remember, we're trying to make a distinction between institutional failure and the structure of God's word as being authority. So I'm going to point you back to that. But do you know that you're not free? In your attempt to be irreligious, you are always worshiping something. What is it when you go to bed at night that you think about? Where does your mind go first? If you don't have to think about anything, the pressure's off. Where does your mind drift? What do you think about? What do you remember? What do you ponder? What do you maul over? What do you visualize? What do you direct your attention to? What is that? What's your answer? What happens in irreligion is that the thing, the good things in our life Because we are refusing the knowledge of God that we have, the good things in our life take the place of that, and we try to put the weight of our worship on those things. So it could be a relationship. It could be comfort. It could be the way you use your time when nobody's looking, that you get comfort. It could be um, the way you thought of at work and the way people think of you. It could be the things that you acquire. It could be the things that you don't acquire. Right, Even your search for freedom is something that binds you. And it's something that needs the light of this gospel. You're not free. So you have a choice. Some won't be consoled by this sign. Because this is a sign that's opposed. A poor Jewish baby in the ancient Near Middle East was born as God in the flesh, and he had to live the life that you couldn't do. So whether you're religious or irreligious, he's in your place, and you either come to God through him or you don't. But there's no way to God except through him, and he's given freely. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to to pray endlessly and do endless good works, although those are all good things. You have to trust the one who was given for you, who came to live and die for you, who came as a light in your dark places. Let him in. Seek him as a light. Understand his word. Feel his presence. Be with his spirit. And know your redemption. So as we go into the new year, one of the things I'm going to challenge you to do And I'll make available uh, some different options so that you can, uh, if you don't know how to go about this, uh, you'll have some options to do it. I want you to pick a yearly Bible through the year reading plan, right? Lots of them exist, and there are lots of cool... There's a little um, thing online, for example, where you can get a daily email of your Scripture reading for the day. It just comes in your email inbox. So that's one option. I'll I'll post that for you so you have it. Another option is that... um, Podcasts. I was talking to Andy Oliver about it. There's, there's some benefit to it. There's a great benefit to it. There's some, it's a little hard because it pulls it without the uh, chapter titles or the book titles. And so you'll be along in Kings, and then you'll end up in Ephesians, and it's, you have to kind of navigate the shift as you listen. But that's okay. It's still a way to take it in regularly. And you're trying to fly over the forest, get a big picture of the forest, right? Your home meeting is where you can get in there and look at the bark of one particular tree. Other redemptive forest, right? There's that. There's McShane's reading calendar. There's, uh, there's something that Gospel Coalition has for the love of God where um, D.A. Carson goes through McShane's reading calendar and he does it in two-year portions and do a little commentary on one of the things. All kinds of ways to go through Scripture. Would you make Scripture a part of your every day in the new year? Be consoled by God's Word. Also, God's Spirit. <coughs> When you read the Bible, don't read it as though you're checking off a checklist saying, hey, this is my duty and I finished it for the day. You know, some people are helped by checklists and that's fine, but don't leave it there. Don't leave it there as, okay, I've done my duty. When you read the Bible, you're searching for God. You're saying, Lord, I want to meet you here. I want to meet you here. I want to seek you here. I want to find you here. You're not going to read for information or to do a religious duty. You're going to encounter the living God. He wants to meet you there. And you know what? If you start to pray and read the scripture in that way, you'll be surprised because he's going to show up. You can't force that. God's not a light switch you can turn on. But you can work your heart and get it ready for him to show up. And it's powerful when he does. There's one account of a guy writing. He said, I was experiencing God's presence for three hours through meditating through scripture in a particular way. And it was so much that I actually had to ask him to stop. Lord, stop. It's too glorious. You're too much. You're too beautiful. I can't take it. I love you, but you can't keep pouring out on me like this. I'll bust. Right? Meet God in your duty, in your religious doings. They're not there for just religious sake. They're there for His glory and for your benefit. And then know the fact that the freedom of being redeemed is good news. It really is good news. The pressure is taken off your shoulders. Whether you're trying to find freedom through irreligion <clears throat> and just being free from any kind of constraint, you're actually bound by that search, or whether you are religious and you're trying really hard to earn in God's favor and, and please him or please other people around you, it's going to crush you to live like that. Don't be crushed. Rest on him. He's accomplished it for you. It's for Israel's glory that he came. It's for light to you that he came. He loves you. Would you know the wonder of your being redeemed? You were bought back. That means you were in slavery. He's done it for you. Advent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for showing up for us. Thank you for being faithful for us through the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, you, Lord Jesus, are our direction, are our light, and our life, and our peace. And more than that, you are our friend, you're our elder brother, and you give us your spirit to testify to our hearts that we are all of those things and more because of your grace to us, not because of anything we do, not because of anything we earn. But you give us true liberty, true freedom, and we're grateful. And we praise your name. It's in your name we pray now. Amen.